Wow. Where do I start with this one? Tonight's guest is a very wise and knowledgeable man, Mr. Brian Kuhn. He's the director of clinical programs at Pavilion. Joins us. He comes to us with over 30 years of experience working in the field of addiction and recovery. Um, a wealth of knowledge, man. He guys seen it all. I totally enjoyed talking with him. Um, I learned a lot, both in our discussion prior to the podcast and on the on the show. And I also look forward to talking more with him and learning as much as I can from him in the near future. Uh, that's the beauty of this, if you would call it a job. That's the beauty of doing this podcast is meeting awesome guys like Brian, building relationships with them, and then taking those further and taking those into the future and learning what I can from these amazing individuals. I am a learner. I try to learn and educate myself as much as I can. Uh, and today was one of those days. So give some love to my man, Mr. Brian Kuhn. Individual, living a miracle, standing divisible, connected to God and my physical essence of my spiritual presence is visible. Totally leaving you unaware of my mental subliminal. Used to be a criminal, living so minimal, but things have changed in my life. Is going through different intervals, finding that balance is significantly difficult. Timing is everything, so my timing is critical. Rhyming is literal, the unforgettable. It's why I stand before you impeccably, so presentable. I give respect to you, know that I am respectable. I've always wanted acceptance, is that acceptable? I give the rival expected to be exceptional. And I'm a grown man, handle business like a professional. I am incredible, the unconventional. And you stopping me from chasing my dreams is unprovoked. The opinions expressed in this podcast are the views of the NCR team and the individuals interviewed. We do not consider ourselves to be mental health professionals. Our mission is to explore the various pathways to recovery and to give a voice to those affected by or involved in the care of substance use disorders. Some content may be mature for younger audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. Ready, set, go. Brian Kuhn. How's it going, man? It's going pretty good, man. Welcome to NC Raw. Thank you. I appreciate you uh, driving over from Asheville on this brisk <laughs> Monday night. Freezing at your place this morning, huh? Yeah, yeah. Oh my Super god! Super cold, single digits when we woke up this morning. So yeah, did clear you, though. Did you sneak out and watch any of that moon eclipse last night? No way. <laughs> a little pa a little past your bedtime. <laughs> I uh, I tried to. I stayed up for a little bit and poked out there, but it was same thing. It was like single digits up on the mountain where I live. And yeah. Um, strong wind, too. strong wind. Yeah. I got up this morning uh, to take the dogs out probably at about seven and I have the little Google Chromecast thing. So it's always like playing, has a little logo and the temperature on the TV screen. So I got up and it said 15 degrees, wow. like seven thirty, And I walked outside and, um, 
I was like, man, this feels 15 degrees feels good yeah. because there was no wind. The wind uh, had died yeah, off. Yeah. I was like, man, I can handle 15 degrees Yeah. when there's no wind. Last night was brutal, man. Yeah. Man. When I got up this morning, so I look on the iPhone and it says nine. I'm like, man, what? That can't be true. So I go to the local weather and it said 12. And I was like, oh, that's better. <laughs> <laughs> we shall see, my friend. Yeah. It's going to be it's going to be cold ride on the ride home, man. I'll tell yeah. you that. I appreciate you having me in. Yeah, dude. Um, totally. So what, who is Brian Kuhn? Why did we, why did I invite you over? I will tell you a little bit of a backstory. I, um, I was in a room with Brian Kuhn at the APNC spring conference last year. So almost a year oh, ago. Oh, wow. Uh, it was the like peer support oh, yeah. ethics training that yeah. Richie was doing. Yeah, you were in there. I, I was in that room. It was oh, a full wow. house. It was a full room, remember? Wow. I, oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, you were kind of sitting in the back of the room. Of course. Uh, pretty vocal. <laughs> and um, I was like, this dude has a personality. Like, this dude has a sense of humor. This is somebody that I would enjoy like getting to know and talking to. Oh, and I didn't know your background. Yeah. I didn't know who you were. Yeah. We just very, ca- like the room just very casually introduced ourselves yeah and then i've known richie for a little while not super long but yeah yeah he and i knew each other and then like um last couple months ago at the recovery alliance summit yeah over here in waynesville uh you got up and gave a little kind of introductory speech and same thing. It was like your speech was like filled with uh, a sense of humor and yeah. some personality. You brought some life yeah. into that room. Yeah, yeah. And like the very next break, I like approached you and I was like, <laughs> "Here's my card. I'd like to talk to you, right. you know, at some point." And right. so, so here we are. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who's Brian Coon? Um, while I'm that guy that you saw at APNC, um, we were talking a little bit before we went on the air, so. Um, I don't know. I'm just a person that uh, tried to do other things and uh, ultimately couldn't or didn't <laughs> or shouldn't and uh, just uh, been hanging out in treatment centers <laughs> for a long time. For a few years. Yeah, yeah. So, One of the questions that I wanted to ask you right out of the gate, um, because you just kind of disclosed that you've been in the field for a number of years, yeah. is that you know, we have a lot of people come on this podcast. I've had this, the 47th conversation that I've had with somebody from our community that's doing awesome work. And something that tends to come up a lot, um, in conversation with the guests is that like, you know, when, when it comes to recovery and when it comes to like, um, influencing social change on the, you know, level that we're, Mm -hmm. we're pursuing, Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of like, a lot of, we live in a world of like instant gratification. And so there's a lot of like pressure from these individuals who's come, who come on that talk about like being able to measure, measure the level of impact that they're making on their community or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever area that they're, that they're working in. And so what I wanted to ask you being someone who, cause when, whenever this topic comes up, what I always tell them is that like, the type of change that we're working to influence is like, it's not something that you can measure on a one year, two year, three year level period of time. It's something that you really have to like allow to evolve. Yeah. And like, 
take a step back every five to 10 years and kind of see where you stand and kind of see where the, see what, what that impact might be on your community. So like, how has, how has this world of recovery changed you being someone that's been in the field for 31 years? Yeah. If my math's correct. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Um, how has, in your point of view, how has, what type of impacts, what type of change have you um, experienced? Yeah. You know, uh, something you're making me think of uh, a little bit before directly answering that, like you made my mind go there when you were bringing that up. Well, I just heard yesterday or two days ago, um, and the guy was talking about <laughs> when we are in our life and we get to a barrier but it's a barrier we don't recognize until we're past the barrier or through the barrier and turn and look back. And then we can see that it was a barrier. Mm-hmm. We just get up against a little bit of a stuck spot, but we don't really think it's a thing in our way. And uh, sometimes that kind of stage or growth is only clear after we've made it, not even while we're making it. You, you made me think of that, you know. But then you still do learn from that's right. overcoming that that's obstacle right. or overcoming that barrier. You kind of, t- you take something with that's you right. and you add a tool to your that's toolbox. Right. That's right. That's right. Well, <clears throat> more to your question though, like what, what have I seen change or uh, things like that? Um, I think, you know, compared to the late 80s, the whole thing about, uh, different kinds of recovery support and mutual aid is uh, more diverse, deeper where it exists in each, each style and is more broadly known. You know, like 30 years ago, you have like two choices and one's probably the better choice because they tell you that, you know, <laughs> and uh, that's kind of it. So I think there's more of a salabar of uh, good options, you know, for individuals in ways they can connect in different different ways. Yeah. And like almost like redefining recovery and that it's Mm -hmm. not just that, Mm -hmm. whatever that that the fellowship or whatever Mm -hmm. it is that whatever pathway that you choose. Mm -hmm. um, My personal experience tells me that like it's the lifestyle Mm -hmm. it's the going to the gym however many days a week it's the discipline Mm -hmm. behind the program Mm -hmm. or behind the pathway that i've selected yeah Uh, it's the way that i interact in the classroom it's the way i challenge myself to learn yeah um it's the way that you know regard no matter what i do i'm going to sit down i'm going to meditate every day yeah yeah. i'm going to spend 30 minutes reading yeah i'm going to become a better listener yeah. and listen to maybe somebody that has an opposing opinion on yeah. a topic. Yeah. Whereas, you know, Steve five years ago would have argued to the end with you about yeah. whatever that is. So it's like, it's encompassing so much more than just that, yeah. that fellowship. I think about uh, intent and I think about perseverance. Yeah. And uh, when I get off my intent, or get off my perseverance that I give up on me and what was in it if I had kept my intent and my mm-hmm. perseverance. You know, not that uh, I'm better off 
for it, but maybe I'm worse off, you know? Yeah. So I think there's a lot to be said for that personally and professionally, if we're in a professional aspect of this thing, you know? Yeah. And then uh, personally and in service, both, you know? Mm -hmm. And we were talking beforehand, before we went uh, live, <clears throat> about that sort of microwave culture and things have to happen quick, which is like under two weeks, please. Or mm -hmm. we just said that because we're being generous. We really meant 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I mean, probably things look different after 31 years than 21 mm -hmm. or 10. Yeah. And um, so I come from the world of refuge recovery, which is a uh, Buddhist inspired path to recovery. Um, the foundation of like meditation and mm -hmm. ethical lifestyle, that sort of thing. And that's one of the things that the, the Buddhist teachers are, always hear is that like um you know it, it's not a sprint it's a it's a marathon yeah. and that like you're not gonna regardless of the skill that you develop on that cushion mm -hmm. you're not gonna see these like expo you're not gonna experience these exponential profound experiences mm -hmm. um and to like really reflect on your personal growth and mm -hmm. where you are as a person, they, mm -hmm. they say every 10 years, that's oh, what they yeah. teach. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I found recovery at 31 years old. I'm only going to be able to do that like five or six times. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know what I right, mean? Like, right. You know, so, so I got something for you in there. Um, the idea, uh, your first comment or question or so, uh, also had to do with making an impact and knowing we're making an impact or like, how big is my impact Me or, and measuring? Yeah. Yeah. That stuff. Mm -hmm. And, uh, <clears throat> I don't know, maybe these are all the wrong things, but the idea of quality rather than quantity and, um, you know, there's probably not tests and measures for this or clinical quantification for this, but the, the true connection with the person that's real and matters then. Yeah. And being able to uh, be present in that and uh, have that be available when it's needed so that, so that that's okay to say on demand or ready when the person knocks. I can show up in that and uh, the two people are in true connection. That's a huge deal, you know. So believe it or not, my first gut answer and my first intellectual answer are the same which is quantifying impact is there not more than that yeah first yeah yeah, yeah yeah for sure yeah. to me it's all it's it's all about authenticity mm -hmm. and like i'm gonna be um true to myself when this microphone is recording yeah when i'm walking down the hallway at school um and doing that it's I've been blessed with like pretty amazing opportunities to have those yeah. authentic connections. Yeah. Um, you know, last Monday night I show up in this room about an hour and a half before the show starts to set up all the equipment to like run some tests and make sure that everything is ready for, cause we ask you guys to come at yeah. about six 30, 30 yeah. minutes before. So to make sure that everything's ready to go and, I just set everything up and I hadn't tested anything and I hadn't done anything. My girlfriend showed up yeah. with her five-year-old son. They walked into the room, they sat down over there and I got up to go to the bathroom. I was like, I'll be right back. You know, we're just going to like 
hang out for a few minutes. Yeah. Walk, I opened that door. As soon as I opened that door, there was a gentleman standing there who uh, appeared to be some sort work in the construction field. He was dressed like he had a long day at work. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. He looks at me and he goes, "Hey, do you work here?" And I was like, "No, no." He goes, yeah. "He goes, can you help me?" And I was like, "What do you need?" And he's like, "I got this iPad here, and I need to like print this document and sign it, yeah. and fax it back." He goes, "I don't know how this technology stuff works. I just got to do it." Uh-huh. He's like, "Yeah, they have a little printer in this little office thing yeah. over here." I was like, "Yeah, I can help you with that, you know." Yeah. So we get logged in, we get the thing printed up, and while we're doing that, we're having this conversation we're getting to know each other he's what are you doing here recording this podcast i get the thing printed i email it back to the lady yeah what's your podcast about well recovery always we talk about different pathways approaches and what the experience of recovery is like yeah man he goes i've been in recovery for four years (laughs) you know he's like you know i'm a um, um, you know, da 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 da, and he starts yeah. having this conversation with me. And he asked me how to find it, and I showed him how to pull it up on his iPad, yeah, and like it just yeah, created yeah. this like yeah. this thing happened. Yeah, just because like when I opened that door, right. I was vulnerable, and I said, "Yeah, of right. course I can help you." Right. Oh, you need to send an email, yeah, right. dude, no problem. Right. Um, so how did you find yourself? You said you came from a different walk of life. How did you find yourself um, in this line of work? Yeah, yeah. You know, a couple decades ago, how did yeah. you find yourself like yeah. getting getting started and what was that process like? And All right. So uh, my, uh, you know, probably first love uh, in uh, like early, early in life is uh, biology, you know? Which uh, we don't, when we're five, we don't use that word. It's uh, all these like uh, nature shows on TV and uh, National Geographic stuff and like books, you know, animals and all that stuff. And uh, so somehow, like, I just kind of knew in my mind, like, that's what I'm going to do. I didn't know what that meant, but that's me. I'm going to grow up and be that. And then just the older I got through school, that became more and more clear until I got in college. But that passion started at five years old? Four. Four? I can remember. Okay. It was like a light bulb thing. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> and uh, I was in college, you know, freshman, sophomore year. And I realized what math was really all about. Because <laughs> the biology department where I was was like uh, committed to uh, weeding people out really hard, you know, with chemistry and all this other stuff. So, um I pick psychology uh, as an undergrad, and uh, it's a bunch of uh, physiology and uh, animal behavior and all that without so much math, you know? Um, Fascinating stuff. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. So it was my ticket for that. Um, I've got, and I always tease myself about this when I'm with certain folks, I'll do it with you. So I've got a family you know, that are close, that are in this problem. And I've been watching that my whole life too, you know? So, uh, I will say, of course that had nothing to do with it. You know, we just picked psychology cause it's animal behavior but, and physiology. So I finished the psych major, my uh, senior year undergrad, we had to go 10 hours a week to a different place for practicum. 
and like hang out, watch, listen, and see real clinical work happen, which I was happy to do. I was excited to do that, you know? And uh, it ended up that the choices they gave us were like, to me, really extreme and really scary. And I felt like totally unprepared for that. And when they said, uh, how about a halfway house for like alcoholic guys coming out of 30 day programs, getting back on their feet. I was like, Hmm, that's fine. I can do that. You know, I could connect to that. So, um, that was in 87, you know, 10 hours a week doing that, just watching and being easy going, polite, um, go from there so I went to grad school 88 uh, internship for a year after the first year so you got a year of coursework and then a year of clinical internship full-time. but but that um that experience mm-hmm. in the practicum mm-hmm. was enough to inspire you to seek clinical psychology yeah so that's the truth I didn't even think about that but the honest truth is there was a guy who used to come in at night and this is I would go in at dinner time and hang and eat dinner with the guys you know they've been in their treatment now they're in sober what we call now sober residence and uh, there's a guy from the university who was a full professor but he was an AA and so back in these days you didn't even have to have certification you know this is like before you had to have that mm-hmm. And uh, he'd come in at night and run group two nights a week. So after we're done eating, there's like a 20-minute break, and then group starts. So I'm sitting in the circle with these guys, you know, yeah. and they're grouping. And this was it. I mean, I can, I can, I can remember right now um, super clear memories of the exact verbal dialogue and change and risk-taking and sharing and camaraderie among the guys and help from that counselor that came in and it was breathtaking it was true transformation to see that transformation is what kind of like done lit that fire sold hooked yeah finished Uh yeah so then graduate school yeah and uh my major professor in grad school was uh um clinical psych and addiction researcher and addiction was his pet area you know there wasn't a whole lot of addiction researchers no at that time right or that would admit to being one they published <laughs> in an addiction journal mm-hmm. and those folks know but yeah so i uh, hung out with him uh, uh during uh you know like a 20 hour week instead of grading tests and watching exams and stuff like that go with him while he's consulting to a treatment program and then that's your assistantship. So I'm like, right on. Yeah, I did that. Then internship. So I've just been in addictions the whole time. Yeah. Um, what was your first job? Um, well, right as my internship, graduate internship was ending, uh, this guy called me up where I'd been going for that one year, watching him consult, my professor. That guy he was consulting to that uh, ran that treatment program called me with two months to go in my internship and said, hey, Brian, do you want a job? And uh, I was like, well, let's interview. <laughs> Professional Brian. Yeah, right? they, they always say if you if you don't want your boss's job, <laughs> don't take <laughs> the one he's offering you. you yeah. know? Uh-huh. But uh, we went back and forth for a couple of months, and uh, uh, he hired me in 89. So I was a counselor uh, in uh, therapeutic community TC in uh, – in Peoria 
So what's a what's what's therapy what's a therapeutic community? Yeah, so TC, you know, gets a bad rap. You can look it up, but essentially this is like the self-help answer for addiction where addiction and alcoholism are two different things. Say like the drinking crew is uncomfortable with the drug using crew and places that are like a 30-day you know, alcohol place. They're not really comfortable with so-called drug users in there. They don't know how to help them. They think they're different, different problem. So traditional therapeutic communities started by people with addiction, you know, to street drugs and uh, typically one or two years long, you know, and long-term. Oh yeah. Long-term mm-hmm. residential. And, um, they might have, uh, you know, their own food, maybe a farm or just some way of like being self-supporting and stuff like that. The TC where I got hired in started in 69 in Peoria. Um, I came in there in 89. Peoria, where's that? Illinois. Okay. Yeah. So uh, like suburbs of Chicago? Or no, no, like this out. is midpoint between St. Louis and Chicago. Okay, all right. Yeah, all right. so right in the middle of the state. <clears throat> this was um, like gangster disciples, Latin kings, um, yeah. that kind of area of town. Vice Lords, those three ran that area, you know. So uh, I was 23, uh, Caucasian, mm-hmm. <laughs> ACOA, not in addiction recovery, you know. So, yeah, with two degrees. Um, that takes a, a lot of, uh, I would say, like, patience, commitment, dedication to really, like, find your place, right, in that world, uh, right? Um what kind of like, what was that process like for you and like that kind of hands-on approach, that hands-on learning approach? Yeah. Right, going from like oh, yeah. the classroom to the observer to now like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's an interesting question. So um, more about me, I guess, and backstory. So I grew up overseas, you know, and was in international school from K through seven. So in a way, and then I moved to the U.S. at the end of seventh grade. So in a way, it was like natural turf to be among everybody's different and I don't fit in either. And just at people are people. Just that yeah. was kind of like my whole life anyway. So in hindsight, I know it looks super weird, you know, in that place and time in the U.S. and in that kind of uh, clinical service and to have a guy like me walk in at that age. Just uh, on the surface, it's odd. But uh, people aren't people on the surface, mm-hmm. you know. People yeah. are in that that space of connecting. So, <clears throat> the practical becoming useful beyond just showing up and being yourself—that uh, was the counselors working there then, you know, which are, you know, ex-gangbangers and IV drug users, and you know they've gone through some kind of treatment probably or in a fellowship of one kind or another total transformation and they're given back and doing service and in these kinds of professional roles you know so um it's no small matter for folks to be dedicated to that work so mm-hmm. it's probably not all that big a stretch to put up with me for eight hours and show me how to be helpful when your childhood experience allowed you to walk in there fearless. Yeah, that's right. Because right? you like you saw it the same way that that's you right. did as a child. That's a good word for it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what happened. Yeah. That's what it sounded like. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. What um 
how did that job evolve and how did you like, how did, what was happening even just in the field of recovery at that time? And like, how, how were things changing? How were things being viewed? Yeah. Um, So something like super odd, maybe like now 31 years, you say you're somewhat of a historian. Where did the crack epidemic go? Question mark. And uh, also, you know, in those days, like crack, that was a thing. Like, oh my gosh, now there's this. And it's just tearing up the inner city and the suburbs. Don't get me wrong, you know. Um, So the program, the one-year program, after about after I was there about a year, we got a Medicaid approval. So that was a third party payment, right? So that that way we could afford a building, which we're in this converted bombed out building, which was really kind of super sketchy. So we put up this new building. And when we did the architectural plans, one of the counselors raised their hand in a staff meeting, which was like a brainstorming thing. And they said, what if we had space for three babies in there with their moms during treatment, like a nursery room with a big extended bedroom? And everybody went, nah, that would never work. And there's this big silence. And it was everybody looking at each other going, wait, people need that. Mm. Yeah, I can't come because I'm pregnant. I can't come because I have a newborn and I'm pregnant. You know, that kind of thing. Where I'm heading is the whole crack epidemic times you know crack babies and that was a big national scare at the time all over national newspapers and like what's going to happen when babies are born where their mom is smoking crack during pregnancy and all that stuff so when i came in in 88 89 that was going peaking oh yeah. yeah yeah that was going so um after about two years in that building, we won a five-year federal grant for pregnant postpartum parenting women's service expansion. So we added a little room, uh, actually a big room, a nursery onto that building for 14 kids up to age four. So the moms are in there for a year. It was We went to all women patients and bring your, you know, if you're pregnant, come on. We had a women's health specialist, MD, have the child in the hospital, keep the baby with you, you know, all of that stuff and kids up to age four. That's pretty amazing though, that like an idea can come up in a staffing from a counselor that yeah. like is like eye opening to everybody in the room to yeah. hear how many years later applying for federal grants that right are on. funding this Correct. service. And Correct. that's like the beauty of Correct. this whole thing. Correct. That's um, right. And that's like one of the reasons why like, I, I love what we do, like what yeah. I do. I have yeah. these conversations with people yeah. both on the air and like right. we did before yeah. off, off the air and yeah. like magical shit comes yeah. up, you know, yeah. that like yeah. you don't have to have, uh, those no. degrees and those no. letters behind these no. names to have these ideas and yeah. these things come up that's like impact. Yeah. Imagination. What if saying mm-hmm. it out loud and sitting with that, you yeah. know, and then bouncing it off of you and then you kind of, yeah spin it your way oh yeah. shit that makes sense yeah. you know yeah. we could do something with that yeah um now this this uh therapeutic community you guys also had a methadone clinic there yeah um so this might sound weird i don't know but um so you know methadone maintenance like outpatient services okay and this is before suboxone was uh 
probably approved even, you know, mm -hmm. so it was methadone maintenance. So believe it or not, the methadone clinic uh, started in Peoria, uh, which was a separate organization in uh, 68, I believe. <clears throat> and um, what happened was these different, four different organizations came together and it formed our agency. So um, when I started in 89, the methadone clinic was in the front foyer of the TC. So mm -hmm. the therapeutic community is residential long-term for like severe, probably like crack and mm -hmm. IV stuff and all that. And then the front foyer in the first two rooms are like group rooms for the methadone clinic and they're all outpatients. So just picture the beehive of activity mm -hmm. there. So those two programs had a decades and decades long history of being connected and they would share counseling staff at times or doing urine drug screens. You'd go across the split in the foyer carpet to the other, you know, that's like yeah. the dividing line of the programs, you know, but they, they were hitched for a long time. So yeah. Um, when we got that new building, the methadone program came with it. Okay. Yeah. What's fascinating is that like you had no idea at the time, but you were like, um, retaining these valuable experiences that you could then turn around and like apply to this opioid epidemic yeah. and medically assisted treatment that's yeah. taking place now. Like yeah. so much of what you're seeing today, yeah, you saw it yeah. 25 years ago. Yeah. So the funny thing is by coming up in, so 89 and I left that TC when I came to North Carolina in 08. So like 19 years working in TC and the methadone clinic was obviously in the foyer the whole time or essentially the whole time. What I'm getting at is, I don't know, it's probably, I haven't met a lot of people in the field who've spent all of that, their time in TC and opioid maintenance therapy, be it suboxone or methadone. So just imagine coming up, training, learning the work, helping people in both modalities at once. They're extremely different. Yeah. One year residential, how bad do you want to come in? <laughs> These high barriers to engagement versus methadone outpatient. You know, some people are in the first year, some people at year 20, whatever, just meeting them where they're at, you know? Yeah. So there's not a, a wrong way to help people as long as you're doing good, good work with them. You yeah. know, in my mind, it's so in my mind, there's no controversies or bickering or ideological divides but to so many other professionals there is yeah right it's yeah. like a, a learning curve for many folks yeah so that phrase is that uh, children learn what they live right mm -hmm. well you're living proof <laughs> right <laughs> but we're all that way, yeah, yeah, yeah you know yeah whatever yeah. dude that's kick-ass man that's 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 wonderful yeah. um and you got to do some pretty interesting work near while you were there too mm -hmm. huh yeah, what do you got on your mind? Um, it's new modalities, things like that that you guys were kind of like oh, yeah. playing with. So just name dropping, right? <laughs> yeah, that's where I was going. <laughs> if you've heard of William White, raise your hand, you know, <laughs> so Bill White. So I, I only realized how special this was after I left it, you know, um, the funny thing was, okay, all that work was in Peoria. And by the way, that was a gigantic community agency. Um, hundreds of employees and all kinds of mental health services, substance uh, treatment services. 30 miles away in uh, Bloomington Normal 
was a Lighthouse Institute uh, Chestnut Health System. Chestnut Health Systems is like the provider side, clinical work and therapy with people. And Lighthouse Institute is like people that read and do research, mm-hmm. like actually conduct research. So like the big grant-funded research studies from NIAAA, NIDA, SAMHSA, NIMH, things like that, huge federal trials coming out of big research universities, those studies have to have somebody come in and evaluate the methods with the people and, you know, was it conducted correctly? And then what are the results, you know? So Lighthouse, those researchers would do that evaluation component for these huge studies. Well, one of the people in there at Lighthouse is Bill White. And, uh, you know, we've all heard that name by now, right? (laughs) Many of us have. So... Uh, the funny thing was, um, essentially, and Bill's told us, you know, so I'm not letting anything out that I don't think I should, but the chestnut side of that organization really was kind of close to his thinking. Like, we've got this, we know what we're doing, stop it, go, with, go somewhere else with that, we don't want to implement it. So our CEO in Peoria at our agency was, uh, the complete opposite he's a total innovation guy and not just a change junkie like radically get rid of old stuff that's less effective and bring in the new so if they invented prozac and it's beating the current antidepressant we'll use prozac instead i mean just it's practical Mm -hmm. but he's totally ready to make all changes like now no resistance no rapid change (laughs) you know do it so i didn't know how interesting and special this was till I came out of there in 08 but our CEO essentially went to Bill and said come on in you know so we opened our agency up to him as a laboratory so what we hear now peer support or they still say recovery coaching like we were we were doing that stuff in the 90s like 97 98 99 you know Um, That's just one very small example. Um, The first time I ever heard his name, people ask me, like, where did you ever first meet him or hear him or hear his name? It was in my graduate internship in 88, and the counselor in the 30-day residential program was ex-president of the Latin Kings up in Chicago. (laughs) And uh, he says to me, hey, Brian, after getting to know me, he's like, you know who you'd like hearing? You would like hearing Bill White. (laughs) Me, I've never heard of him. I'm a scoffer, young guy. I'm like, yeah, whatever. We'll see about that guy. (laughs) But he he had me pegged. Yeah, he's right. Um, what was that? What what was that initial like um, implementation of those or that experience like? And kind of like, yeah, applying these um, recovery coaching or peer support like you know, 25, 30 years ago. Like, what was that initial? Okay, so in truth, um, I'll say this just for people listening and so I can tag it. So that was called the Behavioral Health Recovery Management Project, BHRM. And all of the written material for that was archived on a website built for that project as a giveaway to the field forever. So I guess state of So like a service to the field. Oh, absolutely, Mm -hmm. on purpose. So that was part of the project. Like the state of Illinois is still paying for that website to just sit there, you know? How do they find it? Yeah, type in Behavioral Health Recovery Management, BHRM, 
uh, Peoria. Um, and it's, I think the address is bhrm.org, you know. Cool. But all that's there, including some of Bill's writing about recovery history. There's some of the stuff that he's archived there. Uh, probably, some, it might all be on williamwhitepapers.org. I don't know, though. There's a lot of cool stuff on there. Our cool. clinical guidelines are on there. Um, long and short answer, I think, at the principles level is a piece on there called the BHRM principles. So you, that's still sitting on that website, BHRM, and go to the principles, recovery management principles. And there's like 12 of them or 13. And if you read those, you know, they say nothing's more powerful than an idea, right? So those 12 or 13 principles, after you've read about four of them, you're laughing because you're like, I see. And then look at the copyright year down at the bottom. It'll blow your mind. Yeah, yeah. And what they did, Mike Boyle, who's passed away now, he was our CEO, Bill, Dave Loveland, who's since left that agency, and another guy up in Chicago, sat together and said, what really needs to happen? And what are the ideas that will take us there as a field? Change the world was their little ad banner that they didn't let other people know that they were, they were trying to go for, change the world. So those principles are still sitting there. And what change looked like was taking dozens of programs in our agency. Our agency had dozens of programs for mental health, different, all invented differently by whoever, and different uh, programs for substance use. Look at those programs through the lens of those principles and decide where either the lowest hanging fruit was to change according to one or two of those principles and or what's the toughest, hardest change to make. So start now yeah. and just go. So each program was looked at separately through those lenses. And then, so that's bottom up at the program level. And then the bigger one was top down. So stuff like recovery coaching, write a manual for it and just, carte blanche put it over the whole company like if you're being served by us you have a coach period like just top down obliterate everything with coaching so there's tons of changes that took those different forms what were the um what were the driving forces behind the principles and where did that like wow how did that like yeah. all come together to be what that what they founded on? Because it sounded yeah. like that was like the the, yeah. the foundation it, of yeah. all of it. Yeah. So that that stuff was called uh, recovery management, recovery management principles, mm -hmm. and now it's become implemented as recovery oriented systems of care. But it was recovery management principles. So where did it come from? I think that's only clear to me now in the last year. Believe it or not. Uh, I would suggest everybody should read Bill's memoir, Recovery yeah. Rising. And in the back third of that book, he talks about that stages of his, stage of his career. And if you've read the memoir, you know, he's talking about his personal and his professional development, which it, I paraphrase it as a accumulating dissatisfaction with treatment as usual, mm -hmm. time limited, you know, short term, uh, putting out problems rather than raising recovery and going for a, a real wellness rather than just don't go to detox again, things like that. So I think 
the way I understand it is it came out of that dissatisfaction and wanting treatment when it's needed and recovery support when it's needed to match the need when it probably doesn't. Yeah. It's left to itself. Yeah. I think it came out of that Mm kind of angst. It makes sense, right? Like I can, I can see the value in that and I can see the reasoning behind it. Um, but here we are like 30 years later and the word recovery, the field has somewhat become a, an industry. Correct. Right. And so like, there's a mixed bag of, um, many organizations and agencies doing exactly that and Mm -hmm. applying those principles to the work that they're doing. Mm -hmm. There's also, it's probably 50, 50. There's also a lot of Mm -hmm. places out there that might not. Yeah. And so I guess where I'm going with it is it it, it can be difficult to differentiate between the two, Mm -hmm. right? And the fact that like you don't necessarily know what you're, it's hard to know what you're getting yourself into until you've experienced it. And when you're talking about recovery, you're talking about people's lives, Mm -hmm. right? Like you're talking about the potential to um, cause some serious harm Mm -hmm. on both the individual and the families. Mm -hmm. Um, And I guess like, I guess where I'm going with that is that like, to me, following these principles and holding ourselves to those standards, Mm -hmm. um, it sh- it should be like like automatic like there should be like mm-hmm. that should be something that's like implemented or mm-hmm. some sort of standard that's implemented like across the board mm-hmm. because it makes sense yeah. because the research behind it like yeah. shows that um, that it works yeah um, that brings up a, a interesting. Uh, thing for lack of a better word that i think is a a a lens through which to view our field Um, and it's a tension between what you could loosely call um, indigenous recovery and indigenous recovery support on the one hand uh, and um, that's going to be different everywhere you find it and then uh, professional standards for clinical addiction professionals when their help is needed and the space between those for actual human beings that need to get out of addiction and start to move through change and putting their addiction career behind them and getting well, even if that takes a long time and there's a lot of gray scale in that, you know? So there's... um. And I, I can see it clearly at 31 years. It, I think I was in it in year one, but it, what I was seeing wasn't so clear to me that there's a lack of connection generally when it shouldn't be so between the indigenous recovery community of all stripes and the professional treatment community. That gap doesn't need to be. Uh, those two hands can work a lot uh, closer together. Yeah, it should almost be like a standard of like practice is that like that's initiative number one right. is to right so it's very powerful the disc the implications of the disconnection are very powerful so um 
keep coming back. Mm-hmm. Discharge. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. So uh, how are you doing? Uh, problem solved. <laughs> yeah. So the mindsets aren't wrong. Uh, as somebody I know would say, they're not incorrect. They're incomplete. Mm-hmm. You know, they need each other. Yeah. Uh, for some people. Right. So those that aren't making natural recovery naturally occurring and they need uh, professional input, you know, so then it behooves our field to move toward national standards, which a lot of clinicians are going to be cavalier and say, I know what I'm doing. Leave me be, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, but research is a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And like with, with just like technology and this way that we communicate, like yeah. that research is like yeah. evolving by the minute. Yeah. 50,000 right? Elvis fans can't be wrong. So all these, all these lives and personal stories aggregate to uh-huh. a huge sample. You yeah. Know? So, yeah. That's pretty kick ass, man. Yeah. Um, how'd you end up in Asheville having <laughs> this like this working in this, um, this facility for so many years and yeah um hands-on with yeah. bill white and yeah, like developing yeah. this yeah uh, recovery management project yeah. and being playing a role in that yeah like, yeah you find yourself in Asheville, north carolina yeah yeah right after okay. a long career yeah so this is how life works right so um my wife grew up in florida and uh she doesn't dig the midwest you know mm-hmm. so of course i grew up overseas I don't even notice these differences, right? So it's, the whole U.S. is strange to me, whatever. So, um, and I'm all like laid back, you know, type B. I'm like, if she says maybe we should move, then if I just smile and wave, and like don't put any energy into resisting, then it's just not going to happen. You just be like, yeah, you know, and don't do it. So that did work, mind you, for quite a while. And then eventually, you know, it's just not. Uh, okay so uh it finally reached that tipping point you know where i could tell them to go uh and i'd been in that agency for 20 years so these are lifers too you know and uh, i told them you know with a few years to go hey we're gonna move and uh, she goes back to school and uh i was like all right you know uh 20 years in illinois for me it's your turn so uh You've suffered under my leadership long enough. <laughs> and uh, decision-making, go to you. Financial support, go to you. Your turn. Gave you, her all the power. Yeah, you go to school. Uh-huh. I'll subordinate my career. Let's go. You know, let's switch, you know. And uh, so she goes to school and uh, in healthcare in a certain field. And uh, she says, well, I either want to live in the mountains or by the water. I'm like, all right. Where was she from in Florida? Uh, Bradenton. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm from Tampa, right? Oh, up, right, all right. right up the road. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, so she says, you know, I found a uh, Asheville. Next thing, she get interview, and it's over. I'm like, oh no. So I'm at home googling like addiction treatment, North Carolina, and uh, there you go. Yeah. So, yeah. Landed here. Yeah. Yeah. And you kind of like hit the ground running here yeah you guys have been able to like um influence some pretty significant change like Asheville, western north carolina yeah. has really um put itself on the map when it comes to recovery yeah 
in the last like five to 10 years. And like, yeah. I moved here in 20, uh, gosh, early 2015. Yeah. And like, just to see the shift. Yeah. We talked at the beginning, like measuring like oh, change, yeah. like yeah, yeah. to see the shift in uh, what's taken place, the growth. And, yeah. Um, these pockets of recovery communities yeah. and these peer support agencies like Sunrise and others yeah. like doing like yeah. pretty significant yeah. work. Yeah. Um, and like talking to people at this table once a week now yeah. for almost a year, like um it's genuine. Like there's true yeah. there's true uh work being done here. Yeah. Um and you have played a vital role in the recovery alliance oh, that's yeah. formed. I kind of want to get yeah. into that a little bit because yeah, yeah. No, um, I saw you there and like it, it was weird. I I didn't go to the first one. I went to the second one. Um, we had started this podcast and I do a lot of work on campus with the collegiate recovery program. Oh, yeah. And um, I was doing my internship with the collegiate recovery program on campus with oh, Lori. Wow. Um, and she's having me like just focus on like building and growing the program, like yeah. educating the community on what we're doing, a yeah. lot of outreach in the community, uh, connecting people in recovery to the services that are available on campus. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I'm always looking for, like, new guests to come on the podcast and talk yeah. to. And so Lori was like, hey, I really think that you could get some value out of coming to this to this summit. Oh, yeah. And so she sent me the invite, and I registered. And then I got to talking to Jay Harris. And he was oh, like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to be – actually, I saw Jay Harris at a conference a couple weeks before, and he was asking me about it. And I was like, oh, dude, yeah, we'll yeah. knock out a podcast while we're there. And, yeah, like, you yeah. know, just – but to see he's like super guy, super dude, <laughs> um, which he's got a pretty pretty kick ass podcast that I would highly suggest okay. checking out. Um, it's it's pretty uh, it's pretty fun. Uh, right. I'll say that. I'll check it out. Um, but to see like first of all, I walked into the room and like instantly, before I even invited you, instantly there was like four, three to four other people that either maybe more like five to six that either had been on this podcast or yeah. were already booked to come on the podcast. Oh, yeah. And I was like, wow, this is like, like yeah. anybody and everybody that's involved in recovery yeah. is all in this room together that's today. Right. That's right. And then I realized that it was, it's more than just like a summit. It's more than just a conference. I'm not no. there to learn. No. Right. I'm there to like work together. To, I'm there to collaborate with others in our community. Yeah, so we've like, learned enough, yeah? <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. Come on now. <laughs> I'm learning every day, man. So like, what is the Recovery Alliance? How did this thing, yeah. where did this idea come from? Where did this concept yeah. come from? And then how did you guys implement it? Like, yeah. how, where did you start? Yeah, one thing I'm going to back up to, finger on the pulse, just a small item, you know, looking back at it, you just gave me clarity on this. So back in the um, TC in that urban area, you know, like in, we had a three-phase program about a year long. So we had an alumni group, and they called themselves Phase Four. You know, oh, yeah, yeah, Rawr, yeah, Phase Four. And you know, I think that that's about extracting people out of the culture of addiction 
at the street level where it's super dangerous, not just to say toxic, and bringing them into a bunker of recovery support that's like probably covert ops, you know, inside the city and all that. And the vibe I get over here, and it's not Asheville only, it's this probably area of the state, and I don't get out a lot, so maybe it's in the center and the east too, but what I sense over here is more of a progressive, not in a social or political sense, but progressive like outreach, going out and finding folks and like the the vibe of recovery is moving forward mm-hmm. and mo- invading different sectors of the community, which is totally different. And I'm not saying one's right or wrong, but in the natural environment, you need one, not the other. In that urban area, it was more like secret, like s- yeah. extract them and bring them into a safe house yeah. and you can live good, you know, and, the other thing, well. just to touch on that real quick, that I, I've also noticed and I'm certain that you have is that it's like gr- the way that it's expanding yeah. is like generationally That's down. Right. Yeah. So there's That's right. a l- many, many, many more young people right in recovery. Absolutely. Whereas when I was 20, 21 years old yeah. and I was rolling hard, yeah. like I wouldn't have been found in a, yeah. the rooms of Narcotics no. Anonymous no. because I wouldn't <laughs> felt like I fit in. No. Right. Yeah. And now like there's meetings around where it's like, you know, yeah. If somebody my age walks in, I'm the old timer. Yeah. Recovery's coming knocking. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a different thing. Yeah. So back to your question, how'd that recovery alliance start? You know, so we call it a recovery uh advocacy, recovery advocacy alliance. (laughs) Uh recovery advocacy alliance initiative. Or we just call it the rebel alliance, you know. So this was uh, Tom Edwards, you know, um, and uh, so I drive 45 minutes to work uh, each morning and 45 minutes home each night. That's a lot of time. And you phone a friend, you know, so for lack of a friend, you call Tom <laughs> and uh, he'll call me. So over the years, we just kept doing this more and more and we're uh, all about the same intent. Uh, around recovery and helping people initiate and sustain recovery. Uh, you would even say through any means necessary, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, just spend a ton of time, like what we're doing now, just back and forth about our lives, what we know, what we feel like is a blind spot and sharing that and where we don't get it and just really going, you know, done this for years. And uh, I'm just the clinical guy, you know, meeting people and helping the individual. And Tom teases me, calling that the starfish. You know that story, like all these starfish on the beach. And Brian's the guy picking up one, <laughs> putting him back in. But Brian, that's ridiculous. Like, stop it. He's a starfish. You know? Tom is out in the world meeting everybody in their place, their office or things like that. And he's a total macro guy. Um, not clinically trained whatsoever, you know. And uh, I think you heard a piece of this that day at the summit meeting that we did. <clears throat> but uh, I'll never forget this. It's a light bulb memory. In uh, 2013, uh, I can picture the road I'm on in the lane I was in in Asheville, on the phone with him at the end of my drive. And he says to me, Brian, what would happen if we put uh, collegiate recovery program directors from around the country. Now he's a macro guy. He's, 
include North Carolina, but <laughs> and uh, what what would happen if we put them in the room, also with professional monitoring program directors from around the country, and professional monitoring is like the folks that watch people in recovery years one through five usually, who are uh, physicians, dentists, pharmacists, lawyers, judges, professional and aftercare providers, um, or of... making sure you're still in your aftercare. They're okay. not the clinicians doing yeah. the aftercare, but they're checking on you and mm -hmm. taking your temp and making sure it's public safety first. You know, you want your airline pilot sober, that sort of thing. So Tommy says to me, you know, he's a dreamer. He's got me willing to listen to him. He says, what would happen if we put those uh, collegiate directors and professional monitoring directors in the same room together. What would happen? Well, back then he would give me permission for this, but he, he doesn't anymore. I go permission to think, please. And he's like, okay. And what I mean by that is a couple of weeks. <laughs> you know, I'll get back to you on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. But uh, I mean it, you know, so I'm like, let me think about that. And a couple weeks go by, and you know what clicked for me? I think you heard me say it that mm -hmm. day. I was like, Tommy, so what? Hey, remember when you asked me what would happen if we put them together? Like, he's like, yeah. I go, you said you wanted a reason to do it? Yeah. It's the same person. He goes, what do you mean? He, I guess he thought I meant the program director. <laughs> I go, it's the same person. He's like, what do you mean? I go, well, everybody who's a doc today was a student yesterday. Like they were in school. The person's the same. It's the person served. So that's the starfish answer. You yeah. know? It's the same. So it's just an earlier stage in life, you know. So we wonder if the collegiate program, you know, the collegiate recovery programs know about professional monitoring and help do advocacy all the way through. Versus the person's going to bump into barriers or blind spots or fill out a form and have to check a box where they could have been anonymous or who knows what, you know. So these systems should know about each other. That was back in 13. That's how that, those were the first two systems yeah. that we had touch. And the, the meeting you plopped in. It's totally evolved since then. It was like then. 20 systems. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. That's awareness. Yeah. yeah. So go ahead and what are the... What are the objectives of this yeah, alliance? Yeah. So when we bring all these um, these individuals together, yeah. what do we hope to achieve? What are you trying to do? Yeah. So here's four words, I think, that we kind of, Tom and I sort of uh, landed on over a ton of interacting and uh, going out and talking with people like we're talking now and raising these ideas. So four things, awareness meaning of each other's systems where, and we found out there's usually not a lot of awareness or there could be awareness, uh, collaboration. So are these systems working together? Um, advocacy, which is probably obvious. And uh, the last one is action. So not just talking about awareness, not just talking about collaboration. We actually meant do it, mm -hmm. not just advocate about our own system, but for each other. You know, how can we support you in action, getting out and doing it? And if you asked me, you know, the clinical starfish guy, I would say for the sake of the one. Yeah. <laughs> where all these systems, like you saw that day, you know, 
law enforcement in the room, clergy in the room, prevention in the room, researchers in the room, treatment in the room, drug court in the room, all these different systems where our people are in those systems, you know, for the sake of the one, primary care to hospital to recovery court. So for the individual we're helping, we should, we should know what's in our community and not to sound strange, but we should know what's in our state, in our region of the country, and even nationally. Like it should occur to me to go, wait, there's an, I wonder if there's a collegiate national website, and I can see if there's a program in Huntsville, S- Alabama, where my friend's going to go yeah. in the next semester. Mm-hmm. You know, who's the director down there? I'll just look him up. You mm-hmm. know, these things a lot of times don't happen when they could. And there's like, you hit the nail on the head because all of these services are interconnected, but when they're lacking that awareness or they're lacking that collaboration, correct. The services that are being provided might not achieve their maximum potential. Right. Right. And I just keep going back to the individual person. So Mm -hmm. you graduate with your, your undergrad today and you're going to go to law school uh, in a different state. Well, the collegiate program you just finished, that's a steep cliff to fall off. I wonder where you're going to graduate school. Do they have a collegiate program there? Are you eligible? And can the graduate, can the director hand off or are you, can you just call up and say, Hey, here's me. You know? Yeah. Or like, even like the decision in what school to select yeah, when right you're on. looking at three or four different ones. Yeah. What, how are you going to make that decision? Absolutely. Where's the, where's the weight coming yeah. in? So the great, uh, I always use the same one example all the time. I haven't found a better one yet. This is a true story. So counsel where I'm at now in the first session with somebody in under 20 minutes had that conversation like, wow, you want to finish your undergrad. Do you know about collegiate recovery? And the person's like, what? You know, so in the, this is like, I don't, it's, they don't say it's not supposed to happen, but in your first appointment yeah. in residential treatment, it's like here and turn the computer screen around and start looking. So that's raising hope. That's your goals. It's this, empowering the individual. Absolutely. Too. This is a long-term path. You're getting well. Mm-hmm. So treatment complete is not its own yeah. point. You know, it's yeah. a means to an end. Like, yeah, for real, multi-year getting better moving on, you know, in the grand scheme of things, like just recovery itself is so kind of foreign and kind yeah. of new to yeah. those individuals that like collegiate recovery is like undefined. Like, yeah. what is that? Even yeah. now, like when I'm hustling it, yeah. In this community. Yeah. And I say, yeah, you know, we have a collegiate recovery club and yeah. these are the things that we do. I get kind of like, I get almost like a, yeah. uh, a blank stare, yeah. questionable, like yeah. curiosity. Like yeah. what, what, what is this guy talking? What exactly yeah. is he talking about? Yeah. I have to go into like a lot more detail as yeah. far as like what it is that we do and who we serve, like defining yeah. who we serve. It's not just yeah. substance use behaviors yeah. or substance use disorders. Like it's, yeah. we, we are a community of students who um, collectively support each other and promote like health and wellness. Yeah. Where like this semester we're twice, three times a week, Mondays, Tuesdays and Thursdays members of our club are meeting in the fitness center and yeah. working out for like an hour, hour and a half. Like yeah. what it's not just the twice a week support groups. Yeah. It's the going out 
and, and spending three hours on Martin Luther King Day because we don't have class. Yeah. Bowling and yeah. like building some community and having a good time and yeah. promoting promoting that we can have fun yeah. in recovery. Yeah. We can be college students, yeah. achieve our goals, yeah. and still have the time of our life. Dude. Yeah. In uh, 2014, uh, we hadn't done a first summit yet in time. So here's macro, right? He's like, hey, uh, you know, what if I booked a room, you know, at a hotel for like two days? I'm like, yeah. What if I booked it for like 20 national mon- professional monitoring directors? And like, what if I told you I got like 18? It was too specific. I was like, no, stop it. And he'd already done it. He's like, we got to go, you know. Well, if you're holding an event that we're both booked to be at, I guess we have to show. And uh, there's people that came to that first one in 14. And these are program directors from all around the country. And uh, there are people that came to that first one that are still coming to these. Mm -hmm. I have to give those, even those that had dropped out after a year or two of coming to give these people a world of credit because frankly we didn't know what we were doing we just thought if you put people in a room together they're just neutral intellectually curious and immediately would align Mm -hmm. which wasn't sort of really what happened it's not always the case no it was like a clash of cold water shocking reality to hear about each other's systems and different philosophies and like purpose even not recovery everyone's on that page but what does it take now for the 18 to 23 year old versus what does it take for a surgeon who's mid-career and the concerns about safety versus advocacy? And so these systems hadn't shared really personally or professionally, you know, that was super awkward. Mm-hmm. We Now we totally do it in a different way to help people understand. But what you're describing, Steve, with going out and kind of promoting what is collegiate recovery so in subsequent uh, summit meetings nationally and in north carolina which has been just for north carolina folks more or less we've had different systems get up on the stage for like just 30 minutes and do a true dry infomercial of what is your thing like literally what is drug court mm-hmm. not the one here period like what is it Define drug court. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Just simple. Yeah, mm-hmm. flat out. What does it contain? How does it roll? And then same with professional monitoring, same with collegiate. And as we've gone along, uh, believe it or not, we've had national heads say, let's do a roving panel of four systems and either me or Tom on behalf of like the summit idea and go to each other's national conferences and have three or four systems get up and go, the one person might need more than one system time to understand other systems. Yeah. We've done those simplistic know. training and in an environment that's like conducive to like right. that type of learning top down. Then they can like promote it in their state or, and I always think this is valid. Like go do the simplest site visit, like me coming here today, you know, like, wow, go to that other thing, go see the drug court, meet that staff. And now there's a connection and mm-hmm. you can really like get it. Yeah. What's uh what's next for the alliance, man? Where does this thing where do you see this thing going? Well, the truth is from fourteen to like last year when you came. A lot's changed, right? A lot's changed. And what's happened is we've gotten this a lot smaller. We're just kind of in North Carolina now. 
And but the the cool thing is within North Carolina, we've gotten huger, meaning yeah. we've added now very intentionally, not just throwing out mailers, but like clergy, law enforcement. There's people that are super strong recovery advocates, the allies that are oh one hundred percent. I mean, totally. Uh, law enforcement in fifteen sectors or so, you know. So because it's people in the state. Um, I think there's a there's a, a a rallying together and a, a pulling for unity because of being geographically close. And yeah. the one you came to was the last of three we've done that are regional within a state. You know, so like we've done the east. Uh, Jay's helping out over there. We've done the center of the state, and that was just the western regional one. So look at that room was on fire, man. The energy in that room. The room was on fire. It was completely full. Standing room only. You're standing in the back in the corner. Yeah. That was standing room only. Um, yeah, that's 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 wonderful, man. Like, So uh, I think to answer your question in a concrete way, where do we go? You know, it's that idea of collaboration and working together. And, you know, so people ask, you know, like, what does that mean? Now, this is me, just the dreamer and the guy who will ask a question and let it hang. When, when our systems get to understand each other, like, what do you really do? What do we really do? And then go, okay, like I was saying, there's a gap, maybe recovery community and like professional treatment people, there's an empty space and there shouldn't be. When our systems get to know each other, can we see where we could collaborate but don't mm -hmm. for the sake of the person? Yeah. And what I would want coming out of all of our summit meetings is totally different collaboration that would be innovative and unique. So we can't describe it on, right now as an answer because I need three people from different systems to cross fertilize and go, wait, I see it a thing that we don't have today. Yeah. That's what I want. Allow it to kind of Correct. develop on to its reveal own. itself. To reveal itself. Right. The old cliche. Um what I don't know. I, I, I just think that like what happened, I don't know. Like, is it cause it's a annual thing? Like, do you see, we do one for the whole state, state? every year. Uh huh. Yeah. And then each region once a year. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, do you see it growing into doing something like twice a year or more like additional yeah. to continue those conversations? Cause like what, what you hit on is like, what I related to is that um, one of the things that I noticed at the Western North Carolina yeah. regional recovery rally, the last uh, three years, the big yeah, rally that they yeah. do at Lake Junaluska yeah, also, yeah. was that there was a lot of um, kind of awareness, yeah. right? All, using your terms, yeah. um, there was a lot of awareness that and we would get to know like the vendors, we would get to know each other yeah. and we would like throughout the day be able to like share um, and define what it is that we actually do mm -hmm. and who we serve mm -hmm. and um, all of those things. But it lacked collaboration. Right. There was no collaboration. Right. So I would get right. a stack of business cards right. every September. Right. And I would take them home and I'd put them wherever. Right. I wouldn't see these individuals right. until next That's September. Right. That's right. Right. Yeah. And then it'd be like, Hey, there's mountain projects. Yeah. Hey, there's 
um, you know, there's these folks and like, yeah, there wouldn't be, there was right. never follow up. Right. Um, I wasn't doing a podcast at this time. I was just promoting collegiate recovery, Yeah. but there was never any communication from that initial, yeah. initial introduction, initial transfer of business cards. Yeah. Like it just, it, it died there. Yeah. Yeah. And then it picked back up yeah. a year later yeah. just for that one day. Yeah, yeah. Right. And like what you guys are doing is like, it's taking that to the next level and continuing and continuing that conversation. Is there any other national organizations that are doing anything similar to this? Like not that we're alliance aware of. type. Um, not that we're aware of. There probably are. Uh, there's a huge model for uh, social change and like citywide change out of Stanford called Collective Impact. And it's kind of like if a public health initiative really was turned into a structure, a system, and had a, a method to implement with outcomes, that's for like a city, you know, uh, where you'd have like probably political uh, yeah. stakeholders and whatnot. Yeah. But for our field, not really. One thing we've done, and I think you probably saw it when you're in the Western Regional, was when folks come to summit meetings, what we uh, have happen is they come and get seated according to table topics, not according to their system. So it's not like you have all collegiate program people sitting at two tables looking at the rest of the room, you know? So before they come, they uh, self-assign according to topics. Interests. Yeah, right on. And um, sometimes it's uh, things that people don't know about and want to get involved in. And it's not like come watch your system. It's like what if the Western region had a directory, for example. Wow, let's pull that together. You know, those kinds of things. So we've gone you out. You could of, make a directory just by yeah, who's showing up. Right in on. Room. Populate <laughs> yeah. your own. Yeah. yeah. And then curate it, you know. So what we've tried to do is help people have the structures, uh, electronic tools and other ways of building um, collaborative work groups to find projects that need to be brought into existence. Um, now, that's a stretch. You're asking for people to sit together and, uh, and sense a need and then go, here's a concrete way to meet that need. And it's going to take more than just who are here today. So phone a friend. Wait, I know the sheriff over there, and they're not even in the alliance yet. But we're going to go out and get them. Yeah, you know that encompasses all the things that you've talked about today. Right. The collaboration with Tom, right? Uh, the counselor back in Illinois that raised his right. hand and said, "Hey, do we what need? If? A, yeah, what if? Like, <laughs> exactly. you know, that encompasses all of those correct those experiences that correct. you and both Tom have had. Correct. Um, and it's a practical way to like apply. Right. And, and allow it to like um, Correct. sort of evolve. Yeah. It's full of those uh, uh, BHRM principles. Mm -hmm. When you go back and look at them, it's like, oh, yeah, that was in my DNA more than I knew. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it wasn't like, hey, come up with some BHRM ish stuff. <laughs> no. It, it just organically yeah. happened. It came that's, out. That's true. Um, if somebody wanted to get involved. Yeah. Somebody wanted to attend the next summit. Yeah. Where would they go? Because that the website yeah. though is pretty Yeah. So okay. Cool. Yeah. So Tom, believe it or not, put together a website for this kind of collaboration and people can form groups that are public or private for like your work group. So let's say if you and I were working on a directory 
and we had like 10 or 15 other people helping, we could go in there and just form a closed work group that people couldn't even see, you know, just mm -hmm. the ones in it can see. Or you can go in there uh, as a member or just sign up. It's free. And then there's like a news feed and things like that. And then say, you know, an article or the website for this podcast or people can post resources or just all kinds of stuff like that. So he got that thing put together, you know. So Recovery Alliance Initiative, uh, Google that and it should come up, you know. Yeah. And you just... Uh, it's a username and a password. Yeah, and it's know? like a social media type. It is. It's meant to be that too. Website where you mm -hmm. can like make friends and yep. interact like yep. both personally, yep. like in like one on one, yep. and then also like publicly. Yeah, and there's like a uh, there's like a message forum board mm -hmm. aspect to it as well, which might seem old fashioned, but it's helpful because you can post something, and then somebody will pick that up like mm -hmm. two weeks later. You know yeah. the way those work. Versus it gets lost in the bustle of a news yeah. feed. I'll tell you, without like disclosing any uh, personal information, just last week I received an email from a fairly new organization out in Swain County. And she was like, hey, I got your name from blank. Yeah. We are looking for a speaker to talk about this specific topic. Yeah. The person who gave me your name thought that you might be able to give us a lead on the, on somebody that's well-versed in this said topic. Yeah. And I didn't recognize the name. I didn't know who it yeah, was yeah, yeah. that gave her my email. And so a quick search on Facebook, um, <clears throat> led me to believe that it was somebody from oh. the Alliance yeah. from that day. I don't yeah. know if it was from the directory or from yeah. the website. Yeah. Um, but she yeah. shared my information and said, yeah. Hey, this guy's close to you. Yeah. You yeah. might know somebody that's kind of like yeah. on topic with when you're in there, you can, uh, there's a tool to just put a name and an email in and I'll invite them over to it. So yeah, yeah. they don't have to know anything. You can yeah. be like, Hey, this thing's going to come. And then you can just click that and then yeah. you're in there, you know? So we're trying to create ways to have it disseminate itself. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah. If you're, if you're, um, involved in, um, the recovery, any type of recovery community, I would highly recommend checking it out because mm -hmm. you guys are doing some some serious work, and I'm looking forward to seeing this thing like yeah. evolve and kind of grow and that sort of thing. Other states have come and watched, believe oh, it or not. Yeah. So South Carolina, uh, over the last couple of years, they've had well, we've had people in our tables from different states from the beginning because we started national rather than at the state level. But other states have caught on to the idea of regional meetings like you saw and statewide meetings and have said, hey, we can we come watch your state meeting? Can we come watch your regional meeting? And can you help us set up a template of how to run with what you're doing for your state over in our state? Sure. Yeah. Um, Virginia has come and watched. South Carolina has done it. Texas, we were this close to starting a state going down and starting a state meeting or a, a regional meeting in Texas, me and Tom, to get it, its leaders to get traction and then run. Yeah, yeah, Very yeah. close, you know. The soft handoff. Yeah, know? yeah. That's super cool. Um, yeah, I look forward to seeing, like, what, what happens. Yeah. And, like, the only thing that I would say that, like, um, and I probably just, like, could have um, – I wanted, it was important. It's always important to me to like meet new people. Yeah. Right. So like when I 
selected my topic and the yeah. table that I sat at, yeah. I chose the table based off of um, the individuals who were already kind of sit. I was kind of, I'm interested in all the topics, yeah, yeah. but I was like, Hey, here's an opportunity to meet some new folks yeah. to learn what you're doing in the community. Yeah. And so like, the one that we picked and what we were tasked with, it was like to like work on this kind of like community project. Mm -hmm. And like the issue that's come up is like logistically, even though we have done like the zoom yeah. meetings or set up the zoom meetings, yeah. like logistically to like follow through yeah. with the, um, with the, uh, whatever comes from, yeah, the planning, yeah. it's like been somewhat challenging to yeah. get everybody that's at the table. Right. That's right. Doing the do. To do it. Yeah. Right. To like that's show right. up. That's right. But I think that's a part of like the challenge, yeah. you know, is like to, yeah. to, to see the follow through. Yeah. Right. That we're like to, the responsibility of like finishing what yeah. you started kind of thing. You yeah. Know? That cliche is uh, don't let perfect be the enemy of best. Yeah. And so now, you know, in hindsight, say, Tom and me were the two guys willing to totally be overconfident and under-equipped and say, let's go in 14, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. So now we can write the don'ts list yeah, like yeah. real good on yeah. how to not do it. Five years so later. Fail forward. And that's why we give so hard props to the people that have just stayed with us because mm -hmm. it's been painful and awkward at times and sure. just flat out like amateurish. But then on the flip side, you go, yeah, but we're glad it happened. Like yeah. it needed, it was past the point of being needed. Yeah. Fail forward. There's like yeah. so much growth in that awkwardness. Yeah. Like yeah, exactly. there is no matter how much we all yeah. resist it yeah. and just don't know how to handle or respond in those yeah. situations. Like yeah. that is where the growth is. Yeah. Recovery you know? types don't know anything about no, that. No, no idea, man. No idea. Uh, like you, like you said, I only, I only recognized it years after. Exactly. <laughs> you know? That's right. Years after. Um, so like all this talk of like this, this career and the service work yeah. that Brian Kuhn does and like um, what you, what you've accomplishments and like experiences that you've had working in the field. Yeah. How does Brian Kuhn take care of himself? <laughs> huh? Uh, people want to know that. Yeah. You know? Like I'm busy. Um, so I do get teased about that. Um, so on the, uh, kind of a personal side, you know, so I did a big spiritual shift in about 91 and uh, needed it real bad. Uh, everyone who meets me now is glad I did it, even if they didn't know me then. <laughs> you're just, you're happy to know this guy, just go with that. And uh, uh, a personal passion for me, um, even from uh, high school years, you know, other than uh, biology is music. So, uh, I've played uh, played electric bass since high school, and uh, you know a real bass player is one that never learned a real instrument first. Yeah. You know? yeah uh -huh. um, so uh, after I kind of made my spiritual turn, I let that go. Um, Playing. Yeah, and uh, needed to do that too. You know, just wasn't right at the time. I had in internal work to do. You know. And uh, I honestly, in a good way, I didn't think I would necessarily ever go back to playing, you know. And uh, some, not too many years in, but several years in, I just had that kind of knowing, you know. Calling. Yeah, that comes from a better source, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I've been back at it, you know. 
And um, I think a healthier me is applying uh, myself to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, versus the other version of me. Uh, so um, I'm fortunate enough to be in a faith fellowship that is uh, fairly small or probably average, to be honest with you. But our music team uh, is really little within that fellowship. And uh, just by the size of it, there's no substitute players, you know? Oh, yeah. So <laughs> so for the musicians out there, um, we're, I've been doing three services a week in a practice for about 10 years, you know? Wow. With the same people. So that's just a lot of miles in the saddle for our tightness and fun. Um, it's uh, probably not important to know, but I'll say it. Like, what style or how do you guys sound? I've been told that we're uh, kind of a Venn diagram of uh, Sly and the Family Stone, uh, classic Chili Peppers, and like uh, Bachman Turner. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that. Uh -huh. You can go there in your head. Uh -huh. And then we have two switches or modes. One is like a Motown mode. And then the other is a like a two-beat tent meeting yeah. uh, mode. So where can I find your work? <laughs> what's, what's the YouTube channel, man? Yeah. So the, the great, uh, if I'm not on the phone with Tommy, uh, driving in or out, I'm listening to jazz. Okay. And, uh, I didn't find jazz until about six years ago, but, uh, I'm the guy that will listen to one album for like four months. What's What's on your playlist right now? What is that one album right now? Right that's now? That's on there, yeah. Yeah, so it's going to be John Coltrane live at Birdland. Okay. Uh, that's three tracks. Um, the last one's about 20 minutes long, Chasing the Train. Yeah. And by that point, they said he wasn't playing jazz anymore. They didn't know what it was, <laughs> but they knew it wasn't jazz. But I listen with a lot of intent. My whole person listens. I didn't used to be that way, you know? And a lot of what we do when we play is uh, we wait for opportunity to innovate and we wait for innovation and we wait for group innovation to come forward or to be needed and to have the space for that. What I'm hearing is the same work that you're the same <laughs> mindset, the intention that you have yeah. with the Alliance and your yeah. professional yeah, kind of bleeding over into yeah. your musical yeah. passion. Yeah. So, uh, uh the proper use of the word critic, the critical uh, listener would say, but isn't that just more giving? Oh, it doesn't feel that way. Yeah. It feels, you know, it's an uplift. Hell yeah. yeah. Do you ever see um, yourself leaving the Asheville area? Uh, I guess, you know, I would, I would have to say probably, yeah. you know. Uh, you don't know what life holds, you know. Yeah. I don't feel, from coming to the U.S. at all, I, I probably still have a residue of not feeling firmly rooted and uh, being at K through seven in international school overseas, you know, most kids are only there about two years and then leave. So I do have that. I'm not tightly bound. <laughs> so yeah, probably. I don't, I don't have a plan for that, but how can, um, how can this podcast, how can NC raw, support the work that the Alliance is doing? Wow. Hmm. I don't know. That's a great question. You know, uh, my first mind is uh, I ask Tommy. 
<laughs> right? Yeah. And then when he goes, let me think about that, I'll be like, nah, you don't have permission either. You know? <laughs> he might say, get us both in here okay. and kick it. Right. I don't know what he might say. That's presumptuous. I bet I'm right, though. You know? yeah. I don't know, to be honest. You know? Think about maybe come to another one or I'll something. Totally, like that. I'm I'm planning on attending the next one. Yeah, so come to the there. state one. You know, yeah, I would um, love to. I think that that'll definitely happen. Um, what uh, <laughs> what I don't know. I'm well, cracking myself. You know, one up. thing yeah. that uh, I would say on, in an ally- recovery alliance way would be uh, I'll email you the spokes in the wheel and then make it your job to go out and site visit every spoke in your community and uh, be recovery or not. And I say that with respect around anonymity of Mm -hmm. status, identifying and fellowships and or be NC raw or not and Mm -hmm. or be the CRP or not or whatever, like Mm -hmm. export your awareness into those zones and do this with them out there, you know. At what point in y'all's relationship did you stop granting permission to think on it? Tommy did that to me like two and a half years ago. And it's super frustrating for me because I had been super frustrating for him. And it's like, no, you're just imposing your needs on me. Stop it. I mean, I'm a long, slow internal processor, you know, and he forgets what we just talked about three minutes ago. That's that's a great balance, though, between the two. We're so different in every way. That's pretty kick ass. Um, before we wrap it up, yeah. Jay Harris's podcast is called Professional Culture. Whew. Professional Culture, the podcast. Oh, it's wow. on SoundCloud. Wow. Now, they just started the second season. I don't know if Jay's tuning in tonight or not, but anybody that's listening, go check it out. Yeah. I was uh oh, I, yeah. I enjoyed the entertainment throughout season one. I think yeah. they, they did like four or five episodes for season one and they're back yeah. after winter break for season two. Yeah. Brian Coon. You are a badass, my friend. <laughs> I appreciate you coming over. Yeah, I appreciate you. Thank you. We're so going to wrap this baby up. Thank you guys for tuning in to NC Raw Recovery Always. Visit our website at www.ncraw.life to subscribe to the podcast. You'll receive exclusive content emailed directly to your inbox every time we record and post a show. You will get it first. Uh, it's free. Just mm. drop your email address into the little subscription box and we will send it out. You guys have a wonderful evening. Thank you for tuning in. Good night, y'all. Yeah.